On today's Contract 2020 TA Education, I'll be solo talking about several small sections, starting with Section 7 Seniority, Section 8 Vacancies, Section 20 Safety, Section 22 Furlough, Section 23 Supervisory Duties, Section 24 Dues, Section 25 IT, and Section 27 Terms of Agreement. So we have a bunch of small sections that don't really fit in with any specific SME here at SWAPA. So I'm just going to go over some of the changes in the new TA versus what's current book or some changes or additions that we have from current practice. We're going to start with Section 7 Seniority. And this is one section that has some of the fewest changes out of any of our sections. Uh, in fact, the big change isn't in the contract language itself, but it's in the definition of seniority date. If you recall, the current language says a pilot seniority date will be established on the date that the pilot is first placed into the company payroll in a pilot training status and actually begins pilot training with the intent of regular line flying. And a couple of years ago, we had a problem where the overloading the classes and then sending pilots away to come back later. They would give them a seniority number, but they weren't actually beginning pilot training with the intent of regular line flying. And so there was a big grievance. The way we settled it was not in the language, but by changing the definition. So the definition of seniority date in contract 2020 says, it's the date that a newly hired pilot is first placed on the company payroll in a pilot training status and actually begins training with the intent to engage in regular line flying. That's the same as it's been. But we added, and I'll quote it here, pilot new hire training is a continuous training course and not a placeholder for someone who only completes a partial training course unless medical or personal issues arise or a military leave of absence prohibits a pilot from completing the continuous training course uh, and that's how we're going to address that issue otherwise there's been no changes in the seniority section generally just reformatting and flow of that section so the next section we're going to talk about is Section 8, which is vacancies. Not a lot of change in this section, certainly in the general or the bid process. That remains pretty much the way it is under current book. It's all been rewritten to make it a little easier for the reader to understand, but no real changes. What has changed, there are some changes in involuntary displacements with what your rights are, but that's over in the moving expenses section over in expenses. The meaningful changes, I guess, would be the domicile right of return, Currently, if a pilot is displaced, he's got the super seniority to the top 50% of first uh, round vacancies or primary vacancies. Based on member input and the board, we've increased that to 100% of available primary published vacancies will be eligible for DRR. That'll just help guys get back faster into their displaced domiciles. The only other real change comes in vacancy locks. Currently, it's a four-month seat lock if you bid back to first officer from captain voluntarily. That number goes up to six months in contract 2020. Two reasons really. Number one, there's now going to be a downgrade training requirement under AQP. So the company needs kind of a return on its investment for the training required for downgrade. And then also we had mixed feedback from the membership about the ability to downgrade for quote unquote vacation poaching or just to optimize somebody's vacation. It's really a small number of people that do that, but that was something that we were trying to balance. The company originally wanted one year lock for downgrade, and then uh, we settled at six months. 
same uh, seat locks as ETOPS, uh, six months. And should the company ever implement the uh, near international domicile that we agreed to back in 16, which they never have, that would also be a six-month lock if training is required, exactly like the EBG or ETOPS. The next section we're going to talk about is safety, safety and data collection. There are a couple of gains that we made in particular. Number one, the company's going to cover a significant amount more of the budget. Right now, they pay half of the budget, but they're going to pay a listed number of people to include people in the fatigue working group, uh, FADAP, ASAP, plus the full-time chair and a part-time committee member. We did the math on that. They currently, uh, as of 2022, pay about $566,000 to SWAPA for the safety budget. And now with this, they're going to pay about $1.7 million. So it's a net gain to swap it and our dues of about $1.1 million every year going forward. So that's a measurable gain right there for our budget. We've also had them agree to indemnify SWAPA safety pilots participating in the Southwest safety programs. So if, if somebody is involved in an, some kind of a lawsuit or some other legal ramifications of dealing with the safety program, because as you can imagine, if there's an incident, it's going to involve all sorts of uh, legal outsiders and, and passengers and everything else. SWAPA will not have to indemnify our pilots. The company will indemnify them for us. That's another savings for the association. And then uh, the last thing that uh, was changed that's notable is our current CBA says that video recording devices are prohibited in the cockpit. It's a little squishy in the language because what defines a video recording? If it's one frame a second or five frames or 10 frames, when does it become a video? And so we changed that to say image recording devices. So that captures very slow updated video so that if they took a picture every second, we wouldn't have to argue about it. That's still prohibited. So it's a more restrictive prohibition on image recording in the cockpit than what we currently have today. Uh, in safety, we also codified a bunch of current practices, generally better organization and consistent terminology, uh, along with a lot of the things that we went through with contract 2020. A lot of the terminology was mismatched in our current language. No meaningful changes generally beyond that. We also made it clear that current practice for go team, when there's an incident or accident and they, and they fly an airplane from Dallas with people to handle it. Currently, we're allowed to bring our SWAPA staff members if we have safety staff members or for whatever reason we, we wanted a staff member. The language doesn't say that currently, but that's been the current practice. So we just changed the language to codify that. And then the last thing we did is we clearly delineated what's a safety investigation and what isn't. In the current contract, it's not always clear what's a safety investigation and what's a flight ops investigation. And sometimes they can overlap. And we've had some incidents where that line has blurred. And we want to make sure it's a clear, bright line between what's safety and protected and what is flight ops and is not protected. It hasn't changed the way it's been operating in the past, but we've made it much more clear in the language. And then there are a couple of things that Southwest asked for that, that are included in the uh, safety section. Number one, the VP of safety and security will have oversight access to pilot safety data. That's a change. This uh, individual, that's based on changes at the company's corporate level of how they integrate safety and security through the uh, organization rather than they don't just have a flight ops safety and security. It's an enterprise-wide, I hate that word, but that's what it is, enterprise-wide safety security department. So 
for him to be uh, responsible, uh, he has to have access to it. Although we've made it clear that it's only oversight access, it's not individual pilot data. So we believe that based on our talks with a swap of safety, that that will provide enough protections for our pilots that their data won't be compromised outside of flight ops. And then uh, we were seeking much more restrictive data retention policies and rules. The company did agree to codify, but we're codifying based on SWA's data retention policies. So those are pretty consistent. And it's not just for us, it's for all data retention. So they're not going to use that to really be able to exploit the language that we have proposed in contract 2020. The next section we're going to talk about is section 22 furlough. I was looking back at the flight plan and it's interesting because the language basically said, you know, that uh, we didn't make any changes because fortunately we've never really had to put it into practice. And uh, as we all know, we came really close in December of 2020 to having to put that language into practice. And as we went through those negotiations during that period, some really clear things came to uh, light. And so we made some changes based on lessons learned there. A lot of it is in the nuance of the language that I really won't get into here, but rest assured that the NC made subtle but meaningful changes that will help future NCs should this issue come up in the future. So the changes that our pilots will be most concerned with or most interested in, I guess I would say, would be the additional benefits coverage for furlough pilots. So currently, it says that the continuation of pilots' benefits beyond his furlough date will be governed by the state or federal laws, except a pilot will continue to be eligible for company-provided insurance for five months. We extended that for an extra month or six months, and then the COBRA will kick in for the other 18 months like it does today. And we added a half a month of furlough pay across all the longevity bands. So starting with less than a year, you get a half a bid period of pay. So currently one to three, you get one year, or one month, and then three to four, you get a month and a half, four to five, you get two months, and so on and so forth. Up until you get 10 years of more of longevity, you get four and a half months of furlough pay. So take all of those and just add an extra half a month of pay to each of those if we end up having to furlough. And then the last thing that we did change that is uh, meaningful, and, and our pilots will probably understand this one, is uh, we added a provision that says voluntary paid leaves to mitigate furloughs will require the approval of SWAPA. And this is the lessons learned from EXTO. You know, we had a big disagreement on that. We actually kind of reached all agreements and understandings with, with labor relations on that, but they wouldn't sign off on the FAQs as being uh, binding. So we never did get an MOU for EXTO. And uh, it, it was a necessary thing that we did, but it did not follow the RLA process. So what this does is this makes it so that the company can't offer an EXTO going forward based on the past practice of what happened during the pandemic. They didn't want to be locked into something when they don't know what the next crisis that's going to require a furlough mitigation type leave. They don't want to commit to the 55 TFP or, or whatever EXTO was because the next thing may be different. Maybe it'll be more, maybe it'll be less. But whatever it is in the future, if we do agree to it or if we do have it, it will require SWAPA's approval prior to them offering it to our pilots. So uh, we think we kind of stuffed the genie back in the bottle, at least on that side of it. This is for paid leaves to mitigate a furlough. And then when we get over to the leave section, we will talk about all other paid leaves will also require approval of the SWAPA. We thought, you know, maybe they might get cute with saying it's a it's a leave, paid leave, not to mitigate furlough, but for economic reasons. And, and we didn't want there to be any doubt. So it is covered elsewhere, but uh, that's that's in a different section. But for furlough, it is for 
furlough mitigation leave specifically. Moving on to section 23, supervisory. A lot of that has remained the same with just a few minor changes. The big change here at the front end is the fact that we did codify the requirement for the Southwest Airlines VP of Flight Operations to be selected from the master pilot seniority list. So there currently is no rule against it. They could hire just some guy off the street. They could hire uh, somebody from another department in the company to head flight ops if they wanted to. This says that they can't do that. So he has to be a pilot. Seems kind of obvious to us, but good to have it in writing just to be sure. The next thing we changed was how assistant pilots and chief pilot requirements are. Current book says that assistant chief pilots have to have at least three years experience as a Southwest pilot. And then it has some strange rules that if you're an FO and then get up to upgrade, you have to go back to the line and this sort of thing. To be a supervisor with a chief pilot or equivalent and above who have supervisory and disciplinary authority over pilots have to have two years of experience as a captain at Southwest. You know that some people end up getting uh, hired and go right into the project pilot world and they never really get line flying and we wanted the pilots to have line flying experience. So we didn't think that the year measurement or metric was a good one. So in contract 2020, for a management pilot to have disciplinary authority over a, a pilot has to have 1,500 hours of line flying experience as a Southwest Airlines captain. So the, the year's requirement goes away. So you can figure out how long 1,500 hours it's going to take to, to fly. And then for an assistant chief, he has to have a minimum of 2,000 hours of line flying experience as a Southwest Airlines pilot. And then we also say specifically that first officer serving as assistant chief pilots will not administer discipline. So we think that that sort of ties those two loose ends up. And then the last thing is for the FOs who are assistants, who then upgrade to captain, you have to go back to the line for 1,500 hours before you can become a supervisory chief pilot. So you could stay an assistant if you become a captain, but if you're going to administer discipline or be a management chief type uh, with disciplinary authority, you have to go back to the line for 1,500 hours as a captain. So the next section we're going to talk about is section 24, dues. Really, that's another one that had almost no changes to it at all. The only change that's meaningful to our pilots is uh, we did add a definition for dues eligible wages. And what is covered is includes cash bonuses, but not variable pay like uh, stock options or grants. What specifically is excluded is, quote, amounts paid as equity grants. And so what that'll capture is the company has started to give cash bonuses to the pilots that are on the seniority list that are in management positions in that intermediate level of, of management. Now, the real high top, you know, your, your VP of flight ops, Alan Cashers of the world, they get stock grants or options or some combination or, or they have the opportunity to, whether they get them or not may vary, but that's a possibility for them. Those would not be included in dues, but if they get a you know $10,000 bonus for all chief pilots, uh, then that would get dues eligible wages on them and, and SWAPA would get paid the dues on that. All right, the next section we'll talk about is section 25, information technology. IT is an all new section in contract 2020. You've probably heard us talk quite a bit about it previously. It starts out with performance requirements and investment. 
It's trying to capture the company's obligation to provide uh, reliable CMS access and to support all of the programs that we currently use, all of the mobile apps, CAS, CWA, all the things that we need to do our jobs. And the company has obligations to tell us when it's going to be offline or there's going to be an outage. We've also included the requirement for the company to provide no less than 1,500 man hours per month in IT upgrades and new services for pilots, including system performance, CMS, and mobile applications. We're trying to get them to constantly invest so we don't get into that situation of the tech debt. We're trying to solve the tech debt problem. Beyond that, uh, what we have primarily is the codification of the EFB MOU. So all the protections that we have under our current EFB MOU are now put in the contract. So that's a big improvement. And we're, we're happy to finally get that codified on a permanent basis. No change really to uh, how that's been. Swap is pleased with where the EFB MOU is today. So this is good for both parties. We have another section that's on Southwest mobile applications on personally owned devices. We're basically extending the right of protections that we have under EFBs to personal devices if they have Southwest apps installed on them. The next section is crew management systems, and this one's a little different. You'll see at the top, there's a provision that says all the applications covered in this section and the requirements may be added to, removed, or modified by mutual agreement between the company and the president of the association or his designee. And then we go through, and this section has a whole laundry list of requirements for CMS and CWA. And the reason that it's put there is right now, while we've caught Southwest in this transition period of, you know, they, a couple of years ago, they took CMS and put it into the cloud. That's great. But it's still what they call a monolithic program, and they can't go in there and make all these changes all at once. They have decided that in the next couple of years, they're modernizing it. They're basically breaking it up into little applications that are all going to be individual. And we can go in and one will be for scheduling and one will be for vacation and one will be for trip trade giveaway. And they all sort of work as individual components that work together. At that time, they can make multiple changes and they're also modernized. You know, the interface that we use today in CWA looks an awful lot like Maestro that I used 20 years ago when I first got here. It was a DOS program. So they haven't really made too many changes with the interface, but they're going to with this modernization. So with all the tech changes coming in contract 2020, what we're doing is we're pushing the nice to have modernization features to when they get to those. It's not to say that we won't get them, but that's going to be on a basis of sometime following ratification during the modernization. The changes that we've asked for are kind of nice to have. We already have a functioning elit. We have a functioning trip trade giveaway. If it's something that fundamentally changes it, like adding reserve elit, that'll be in the implementation program. But if it's something like changing the layout, having more filters in elit, that's something that will be put off till modernization. So you'll see kind of a mix of those in this section. Swap has a very good handle as to what's going to be required as part of the implementation. You'll see that in the implementation plan that goes out as part of the TA education. But when you look and see some of these things and you read that provision, the reason we did that was so that we make sure that we capture the nice to have. Those will be included unless Swap says, you know what, the interface is too cluttered and we can't actually fit the button on the iPad to make that function happen. So that's why it's worded that way. They'll work together once they get into the modernization of the programs. Just don't want there to be any confusion that we're not going to get these things or that they're pushing it off for no good reason. There's a good reason, but right now those are on a kind of a TBD basis. Then moving on to the next section, which is schedule enhancement alerts. We had a whole series of these in our proposal, 
including basically the company taking over LineTuner, which is a service that Swappa provides to give you notifications if something goes into trip trade giveaway that meets your filter parameters. We wanted them to take that over. It cost the association about $100,000 a year to run with just text messaging and whatnot to provide that service. So that was something that they should take over. They really didn't want to do it because of the huge amount of tech that they already have to handle. So what we negotiated instead was they will be paying for the SRC chairman's budget. So that's 120 TFP per month for his position. You can do the math on that. That's probably three or $400,000. That was a fair trade for us to maintain LineTuner. We also, to be honest with you, think we probably do a better job and have more features than what the company will provide if it's just the requirements of the contract. So that's in there. The only real uh, schedule enhancement alert that we've included is an exchange alert. That's a type of a schedule enhancement alert. And we will be notified via text if we put in preferences or filters to get notifications for. So say, you know, you want to get notified if the fifth week of the year is available, you'll get a notification so you can jump in and make that trade. That's kind of one of those nice to have features. Probably won't come until the end of implementation, but that's sort of the user-friendly pilot experience things we're trying to include in those type of alerts. And then finally, the last part of the section, uh, scheduling applications, that's just Swappa getting access to DPoS and CMS and all the features so we can better serve the membership and having access to the tools that the company uses so we better understand how they use them and, and get some insight there. The last thing, kind of a nice feature to have. A pilot will be entitled to complimentary in-flight internet access while traveling in the cabin aboard a company aircraft. So finally, a free Wi-Fi to pilots, they haven't figured out how it's going to be implemented. They think it's going to be tied to your Rapid Rewards account. So if you want to have that service, you'll have to sign up for that. That's something that they don't know how they're going to do it. But once they do figure it out, we'll be able to communicate that to you. And we'll put that in the implementation plan as best we can. The next section we'll talk about real quick is section 27. In your current book, that's just duration. We've renamed it into implementation, duration, and prior agreements. And this is a really, really important section. It's short and doesn't seem like much, but it's really important to us. The implementation just says it'll be up per the terms of the LOA. But the prior agreements, provision B1, I think is really important and worth mentioning. It says that this agreement will supersede and take precedence over all side letters, agreements, settlement agreements, letters of agreement, and memoranda of understanding between the parties prior to the effective date of this agreement, except for the documents that we list below. And the point of that is we're really trying to make a cut with past practice and break that chain of, you know, we agreed to this back in 1984 and the company's been using it as a way of, you know, eroding what we agreed to in the language. It also makes it clear that there aren't going to be secret MOUs that apply that aren't in the black and white of the language. So under the prior agreements, you can read exactly which prior agreements are listed and which ones are applicable. And if they aren't there, they don't apply. So most of them are, you know, safety MOUs like FADAP or ASAP or LOSA. And then there are a few other ones, the books that we've crafted in this contract, such as the HIMS manual, the hotel standards manual. We've updated the check pilot guide. And then the, the other one that's probably worth mentioning is the SOE exception list, which we've agreed to provide relief on the state-owned enterprises in Section 1, but that's tied to increasing the market-based cash balance plan contributions by the company up to 2% in 2026. And so the last section in 27 is duration. This contract will be in effect from the time it gets ratified through December 31st of 2028, but we do have an 18-month early opener. So 
basically we will be able to reopen given 60 days notice prior to July 1st, 2027 and any time after that. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out the Contract 2020 TA Education page on swapa.org.